Got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today I'm so happy to have Dar Williams here in the studio. Dar, welcome. Thank you. Welcome to the program. Um, we're taping this November 8th, 2013. And Dar, you're in town. You've had a two night gig at the Ark. Right. Um, and so tonight will be night two of, mm-hmm. of the engagement. Um, Thanks so much for stopping by WCBN. Absolutely. <laughs> it's a big game this weekend, so I, I found the parking, and that was that was the only challenge. Oh, my. Yeah. It's the university life ruled by football this season, mm-hmm. it seems. But you have a history with Ann Arbor um, and the Ark in I some do. ways. It's, well, you know, I was brought, the first time I played at the Ark, um, I was... Uh, was April 14th, I believe, uh, in 1994, and I was brought here because um, Fleming Tammy Levitch, the booking agency, said, you know, the, the premier, you know, folk booking agency said, we're looking at taking a chance on somebody. They'd been burned by someone who was, they'd signed up, and the person had backed out the last minute, and they were very nervous about people that they didn't, you know, kind of know inside out and who hadn't really proven themselves, and I had been kind of off the radar touring for two years and but had this album called the Austin room that came out and they said um you know come to the come to the ark open for Ani defranco we'll all be sitting there watching you <laughs> no pressure <laughs> enjoy and um and so that's what i did and you know i just there's the, there's that moment you're in your life where you're like i don't really have the luxury of being nervous right now so and Ani was really nice did you sort of enter a zone dar um I wish I wish I knew that zone T. <laughs> 
Um, no, I just I just got on there. But uh, strangely, I recognized somebody in the audience because she was a Mount Holyoke student, and I'd played. You know, that's where I was from that area, that college area, and so I. And I saw her, and and that was a nice jolt. And also, um, Ani was really nice, and she was with Andy Andy Stachansky, who was playing drums. And the first thing that happens, you know, I come in, and they're both just so beautiful. Uh, you know, Ani's really beautiful, Andy's really beautiful, and they're both very lovely. And and he said, um, "Are you a vegan?" Because I'd come out with this book <laughs> called The Tofu Toll Booth, yes. which is a director of natural food stores. And I said, "I am not." I, I try to be and he goes, I'm a vegan. I love your book. And so it was sort of like that was my, you know, instead your of entree. Yeah. Instead of that. sort of facing this sort of monolith of attitude or anything, oh. you know, the first thing he's, he does is sort of like reach out his hands. And say, I'm so grateful. And, and well, because this, because this book yeah. came, this directory, this book came out because you were traveling across the country right. on tours right. and looking for vegetarian, like, like, sh- like natural groceries, food stores, basically, natural, yeah. yeah, which has the best. They have the best coffee. Like I was really in search of the best <laughs> coffee, and and the cool neighborhoods, you know, and that's where they are. And so, um, but uh, it was, and I also thought I'll never make a living in music. You know, that will never happen. So I will kind of be this traveling salesperson. Like I'll play and then I'll sell my book the tofu toll booth and that's really going to be the main way I make a living and so <laughs> so anyway so I play but I opened for Ani and and um and that was a lot of fun and um then I uh and then um and you were by a few yourself days later. then on stage, right, Dar? Like that was like oh, you yeah. were traveling for, for most you and of the my guitar. life. Yeah, until yeah. about 2008, I was mostly alone. But um, then on April 19th, which is my birthday, I was in Iowa City, and I got the call from Fleming, and they said, um, you know, please uh, join our roster. So then they they were really sweet. They, um, uh oh, that's that's my telephone. Okay, sorry, stop for a sec. Okay, okay. <laughs> oh, I do that. Sometimes I always think, oh, this must, this is the time he really needs you, though. It's important that you, you go need, upstairs yeah. and you know it's true. <laughs> All right. So um, onward. Okay. Uh, okay. So, so, um, so three days later, okay, so your birthday. Right. So uh, three days later, I got a phone call and they, and they, um, David Tamilevich talked me through things and he was very, um, he just said a lot of great stuff like, you know, we don't, we're not really in the business of making you a star. We're in the business of helping you work. And, but that works because then you'll be able to tour, you know, for forever. And that's kind of how our artists work. And, um, it's 20, that's 20 years ago. And so, and I said, that's what I want. And, and, you know, it was, this is really interesting. Like I didn't want to, um, be shot up a flagpole. I really wanted to be, um, part of a community and I really wanted a what my management called an indestructible career which is sort of like where you're the thing and um there's not a lot of um there's a lot of buzz around you of of grapevine but there's not a lot of hype that's not real and um and uh and that's what I got you know I got exactly what I wanted and um you know then that's happy why I'm birthday here today. <laughs> I know Jeez. oh it was it was it was quite a birthday <laughs> That must have been incredible, and and I mean now thinking thinking on that moment, like I, I, did you did it sort of did you even realize at that time what that meant? Did did it feel? Because I know you said it's exactly what I wanted, but did you even know? Or maybe you did from talking to the person because the way they were. Yeah, I don't think any of us knew because um, it's uh, you know the business has had so many ups and downs, 
And at the end of the day, really what you have is, is yourself, you know, getting in and out of a guitar, uh, <laughs> out of a car with your guitar. And, um, and, you know, there's that kind of, at the end of the day, this is all that is. And, you know, and there's things you can do. You can grow it out. You can have a band. You can have, you know, awesome press photos are taken. You can have a great producer. And, and you, you want all those things. All those those frills are awesome. But, but also, if you have to, you know, you can get out. Like one of my gigs that they did was um, like a $20 plus whatever comes out of the tip jar um, gig in La Crosse, Wisconsin. And they were all laughing on the phone and they're like, we haven't really done a tip jar gig, <laughs> tip jar commission gig uh, before, but you know, we're happy for you and get out there. And so, I mean, they, they were getting me at this kind of really basic ground level thing. And because um, coffee houses yeah. at the beginning were really important. Right, Dar? Well, they, or they you is, know, they that still are like, everything, yeah. yes. you know, oh, like all of the, but you know, the, yeah, the, the, I mean, I remember I was in like, Albany, New York. This is before Flemtam. I was in Albany and I was standing <laughs> and I was playing for a bunch of people who were talking at this little coffee house and, you know, this dreadlocked waitress like stands up on a table and she's like, I just want everyone to shut up because this is good. And like, I'm going to pass it around this, you know, tip jar. It's snowing. Dar has to drive two hours after this and she's going to be so bummed if you don't put something in here. So, you know, damn it. And like, <laughs> it was that organic. Yeah. And that's, you but know, that's it's real. Good. Yeah. And it's also, it was boot camp and I didn't go to graduate school. That was my graduate school, like humiliation and snow and, and, and sitting on my bed and wondering why am I writing this song? Well, I just want to write the song. And so, um, you know, coming anyway, and Ann Arbor was sort of the, the, the home away from home where there were a lot of kindred spirits who, who were sending me out there and believed in me and, and believed in me even at the, you know, tip jar level. And when you said, um, like touring, this is like the, the, was your sort of graduate school in a way? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, was it that you found, like, as you were traveling around a community of other people, like other singers that were doing this? And did you talk about, like, did you, like, I I wonder, did you, like, share some of your songs and, like, talk about, like, the making of it? Because you were saying a moment ago, well, you're sitting there on the, the bed, like, writing a song. Why am I writing this? Well, because I want to. But, yeah. Well, it's like you're, I mean, it's, it's like a graduate school in that, you know, you're, you're, spending time with your peers and sometimes your peers are your best friends and sometimes they're not, you know, sometimes there's competition, but, but, but that's cool like that, but you're supposed to do that too. You know, it's, it, even the pettiness is part of the good of having peers around. And I definitely, it was a scene. I mean, I was out, of, I was out of the Cambridge, um, Massachusetts kind of scene that was, was happening again. So I had them and then I had people I would run into on the road and, um, and, uh, like Ani was really fun and, and nice and we would compare stories and stuff. And, um, and I did some, you know, song circles and picking parties and stuff like that too, but not a lot. Cause I'm picking not, a, I'm not a big picker. Like, I'm not a big <laughs> guitar player. I'm more a singer, but, um, you know, so, so there was, but is that, that a thing, Dar? Like a picking party? Well, yeah, I mean, back in the day, I mean, it's sort of an anachronistic term, but, but the, um, but the truth was, you know, the schooling was to find my audience. And that was the um, that was the luxury that I was given that not a lot of people get because a lot of times you kind of get yourself into the industry sooner than later. And you're told, um, 
you know, you're, you're sort of gearing things towards a number. And um, in this, in the case of, of Fleming Tamilevich here in Ann Arbor and, and my peers and my management, um, they weren't interested in the number. They were interested in the duration and the, the, the growth that was truly related on, you know, spending the time to create the, the product that you could stand by for a long time and finding the audience that believed in it. So it was much more about um, finding the audience that was there as opposed to catering to them so that you could get those numbers. And that's, um, you know, that's everything. I mean, that is my entire career. Everything that I sat down and said, well, this is going to be a big flop, turned out the thing to be the thing that the, that the audience res- responded to the most. And I wouldn't have had, you know, if I were surrounded by people saying, why don't you find the thing that sounds the most like Sean Colvin's Steady On or the, the you know, I would have failed and they would have failed. You well, know? it wouldn't have been then something that was com- you. Yeah. I mean, you've got to believe in artistry at some point, right? Well, that was se- seem why, like at the core <laughs> of what you're doing. <laughs> but there are a lot of people who approach it from the other direction. And, and that's, you know, and they're, there's a slightly sort of mercenary quality to it. But the 90s was an, an amazing time to be uh, surrounded by people who were, you know, not only believing that we all had to sort of find our unique selves, but also like really judgmental of each other if we weren't, you know, like, are you selling out, man? So that was good. It was like, you know, you're going to put your song in a car commercial. Oh, you can't do that. And now everybody, you know, it's the, well, and sympathetically, I think that's the only way that a lot of bands can be on the road right now. So I'm not, I don't feel too judgmental, but the 90s was definitely like, you know, it there still was a had line that, in the sand. Yeah. That, and it still had that know. 60s thing. Like, you know, what do you have to say? What do you have to say? Like, you know, stop wasting plastic, stop wasting fossil fuel. If you don't have something to say, then, you know, why are you doing this? Then, um, then you're selling out. But and I like that that was that had the purity. I don't right now. It's much more amorphous. I love that. What do you have to say? Well, that's what, you know, in the 60s, I taught this course about music movements and um, the the I was really struck, Bobby Newworth and also Susie Rodolo, who is um, Bob Dylan's ex-girlfriend who wrote this beautiful memoir called A Free Wheel in Time. She, um, she said, uh, at the end of the book, she said, we weren't trying to sell something, we were trying to say something. And I think that was really a motto of the, uh, the 60s. And also, like, um, are you showing up? So that was important too. Like, are you are you showing up at demonstrations? Are you showing up with your music? And you know, Bob Dylan never did, so that kind of created a weird dilemma for them. But you know, there was like, what is the relationship of your music to the movement, and what are you saying? And that endured, I think, through the '90s. And um, I don't, I don't know if that's the most important question that's being asked of music right now. And that makes me actually think of um, the this the song on the honesty room the album where it with the atomic bomb mm-hmm. coming it's to, called the great unknown yeah. The, yeah which is a great title um <laughs> and the, but that definitely i i can remember thinking that really means something and for that time i feel like kind of the uh, maybe um, people who were young in the the 80s that actually was something that really informed like the, their, your first moments of consciousness, like knowing that there's a world outside your town, maybe even. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know. And then what, what? What? I'm sorry. What do you mean by that? Oh, this idea of like the atomic bomb. Oh, and yeah. That, and yeah. so and I think tying that to like you saying, well, what's your message? Like, yeah. what are you going to talk about? Like these songs aren't just 
like just to snap your fingers to you were actually right. talking about something pretty serious and that had meant something to the, like maybe you growing up in that time well you know the great thing about um the thing that's kind of a paradox in um music or the music that i got to make i mean like i was lucky enough to make really is that on the one hand if if something comes out that has this kind of socio-political climate around it a little aura around it um then um then that's that's your song like that's the song you wrote but at the same time i believe you know in terms of what you know my my peers believed in and what i believed in is that you know there is a muse and and so you can't sit down to write a song about a nuclear bomb but if one comes to you then then you write that. Then listen to it. But if you yeah. want to, you know, the, the Honesty Room had a song, a song about a hippie babysitter, uh, a song about, uh, you know... What two, about the flinty kind of... Woman? Yeah, yeah, flinty uh, women on a on a rampage to catch a, a, a pederast. Nice. And um, the, uh, the, you know, the great unknown about sort of this relationship between sort of nuclear testing and nuclear families and this sort of inherent secretiveness of, of the whole thing. And, um, and then... Um, uh, you know, a song called "When I Was a Boy" that I thought was going to be this huge flop, and so it's oh, that's of, the one you were mentioning, sort yeah, of about yeah. earlier. I when just you was said, like, "This oh, will be well, a flop." This and is then... for me and like you know the, the 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 softball team at my high school. Oh my and, god! And then it's know. like millions are coming out of the woodwork saying, "Dar, this really means something." It launched to me. my entire career. And my entire career came from a song that I thought was for their archives. So you know, so I wanted to write that song. The song kind of came to me, and the great thing about being an artist in the 90s, and I really do think the 90s was just an awesome time, was that you could write whatever you wanted to, and that there were people who surrounded you you who said, if this is truly from your heart, then we will find the people that this speaks to, you know, or we won't. Or they will find you in some yeah. way as you are traveling yeah. around. And we'll find these the- venues like the Ark where people will listen and they'll decide whether they want this or not, but we're not going to push it, push it farther than it wants to go. And that was... You know, even sort of environmentally, I just thought that was the right way to go. <laughs> well, let's take a short break and we'll come back. Today on the program, Dar Williams is here. You've got living writers. We've got text behind the glass. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be right back. I don't go to therapy to find out if I'm a freak. I go and I find the one and only answer. Every week and it's just me And all the memories to follow Down any course that fits within a 50-minute hour And we fathom all the mysteries Explicit and inherent When I hit a rut She says to try the other parent And she's so kind I think she wants to tell me something But she knows that it's much better If I get it for myself And she says That's the guide, that's the map So tell me where does the arrow point 
welcome back. You've got living writers. And if you're just tuning in, glad you did, because today Dar Williams is on the program. Um, so, Dar, tell us a little bit about our, our last last break there. Uh, that's a song called What Do You Hear in These Sounds? And that's another one where I was like, well, you know, I'll write this one. Because I literally just had a little thing in my head that said, you know, ooh, uh, what do you hear in these sounds? And so I... Um, <laughs> And, um, and genius. I thought, well, I just thought that sounds like a therapist, you know, that kind of like it's thrown back at you, you know, so you, you, you say, what do you hear? You know, you, you hear little things and you bring them in and, and you say, what could this mean? And then the therapist says, well, what do you think it means? And, and then I thought, um, you know, how could this, uh, you know, like I, I always just follow the thread as far as it goes. Like I, if I'm writing something, I think, well, why not write a pop song about therapy? And I thought, Ugh, I don't want to do that. And and then I, you know, no one will get it. And then I went into um, Batman 2 because I love like that's something that I learned has totally like loosens up my process is to just like play hooky and go in and <laughs> watch movies like blockbusters. And um, and it had a therapist in it like Nicole Kidman plays this psychologist and I just thought I'll take it as a sign and and I wrote um the whole song you know and it's very uh, you know I talk about the, the process and the strangest thing is that you know I went in there so you know people think that that therapy makes you selfish but in a lot of ways my heart really opened up I became a much more generous person after going through therapy and that was sort of the aha moment of the song that there's this this paradox of of needing so much and then coming out into the world being giving so much and actually being the person who can receive other people's stories other people who might feel silent and and not being a therapist myself but being a person who can you know take in the world better so that that you know, other people might feel less alienated. So that became sort of like, okay, and telling stories the, yeah. so that people maybe can feel less alone. Right. Telling my stories and also being more open to theirs. So that was yes. so, so, um, I just really, uh, loved writing that song. And then we, <laughs> it was like the single for the album. And it was just, again, like really that one. I mean, that has to do with therapy, you know? <laughs> um, but it, uh, but that's the way, that's the way it goes. You, you know, you leap first. And so glad that you did. Well, maybe it's like also knowing that, I don't know, that to trust that. Right. Well, that I mean, by then, by then I had, you know, the most popular songs I had done were, you know, I wrote a song called As Cool As I Am. And it had to do with like saying, don't compare me to other women. That's your problem. That's your power thing. That's not, you know, you keep on making it about how I look and it's about your power issues. And I just thought people were going to say, oh, no, it's it's you're just being jealous and freaked out. And, you know, and all these people came up to me, all these women said, you know, thank you, because I'm in such a mind game with my boyfriend or actually I wrote it in Northampton. So I was seeing a lot of this in women, women, women relationships and, um, you know, where um, people were putting down their their partners, not by um, saying you look ugly, but just by pointing to everybody else and and saying that person's so scintillating, that person's so interesting. And a friend of mine went in a relationship and had that happened and the guy was so ridiculous i was like well, why are you taking this and then i went out with someone and he started to do it and it was so interesting he just started to say you know i would say i kind of have issues with that woman and he'd be like well you got to admit there's something kind of magical about her and i was like that is so clearly you 
And but I was like, and seriously, he said kind of magical. Yeah. Oh, no. You know, that's I mean, a it's red all flag. that fairy that's language, right? Magical, you know, angelic. That's another one. Oh. She's like an angel. And, you know, or she's got great boobs. You know, all of those things are <laughs> are are kind of a sign. But you, when you're in them, you think, no, I'm just being jealous. Like, I should be able to appreciate these things aesthetically. I mean, you know, that she's a beautiful woman, you know, and I guess I'm not. And um, so I wrote that song and I got so much you know, it just turned out really well. Didn't a college take it as like, um, like, yeah, like their anthem? Yeah. <laughs> they play it for their, on their, their May whole day. <laughs> and, oh, it's, it's awesome. No, I mean, it's, it's a, it, there's a whole, you know, I just say to people, you know, they say, what, what's your advice? And I say two things. One's find a scene, just find people to surround yourself with and, and you'll get all jealous of each other and you'll sleep with each other and you'll break up with each other and write songs about each other in front of each other. And, and it's fine. You know, like, so, so, so let it be horrible but you know survive it and and grow and the other but and also help each other and the other thing is um don't you know you you might not want to put down your pen before you finish the song because for all you know you know that song that you write about your hippie babysitter or about therapy is going to be you know a connection you know the reason it's not out there is that it needs to be out there so who are you to know so th those are the two pieces of advice by the way that i give anyone <laughs> right no those are great that now that that's that ends the words of wisdom section right, of right. This living <laughs> no i'm sure there's more yeah. wisdom to come no no, no but that, those are my kernels okay okay so we've got them and i love that they're not they aren't sound bites you have to you kind of have to get to them. Mm. Um, Dar, the first song like that we opened with um, at the top of the hour was um, Joan Baez singing and singing one of your songs. Um, that's not the first time because um, back when you were starting out more, Joan Baez sang You're Aging Well. Mm -hmm. Is that right? That's right. And, yeah. so, and, and you guys sang together. Can you tell us a little bit about this connection with someone yeah, who's also was... like a folk hero well you know she was she was the thing growing up you know we had uh, alphabetized records so it was like all the b's and the c's were just you know and then a little bit of simon and garfunkel on the other end of the record collection mamas and papas in the middle and but it was like judy collins joan baez bob dylan crosby stills and nash um you know um jim croce um, the birds that was just it you know and and we all just wanted to be anyone you know they were all so shaggy like I would have been happy to be David Crosby you know like we all just wanted to be all of them all of the Beatles were there too and so um there was this kind of um wonderful you know frequency on the on the record stack of of these artists and you know there was this this wonderful mythology around all of them too because they'd all become very socially engaged so we kind of felt very related to them and um personal with them and, and thank and god that's part of it right yeah that's and it's it. yeah exactly absolutely and they're very much in the 60s you know there there was that you know there was like there were a lot of rhinestones and stuff but there was also a lot of genes i mean a lot of accessible celebrity and um, so, thank God, when I met Joan, she was really nice because I was, I met her the day we performed together and were recorded. And, and I said, I'm just going to pretend that like you're not an icon. And she just looked at me kind of coolly like, <laughs> okay, let's just get through this. And then, Did you say that though out oh, loud yeah. or oh, did yeah, you just say that in your mind? <laughs> no, no, I said it out loud. I was like, I'm just going to pretend that you're not my idol and we're just going to do this and just let's sit down and record, you know, and we'll, we'll, let's, you know, rehearse this. And, um, but, oh my God. So, um, 
and then and and then actually then she invited me to come to Europe with her and that was a big deal and I had a manager who was all into like really not getting like um conceited in any way so he's like okay Joan Baez wants you to go to Europe with her I mean, it's not okay it's a big deal but it's not such a big deal you know like don't like yeah I think he kept on waiting for my head to like swell up to the size of a room and I and so but it was and it changed everything and she the first or second day of the tour brought me to the front of the tour bus and all the man, band members were kind of nodding like, yeah, this is the moment. And she just like told me about her life, the troubles that she had, what was really going on, what was kind of behind the scenes and who she was and just, and even her body language was very sort of um, leveling and she was very funny and she would always try to get me to shop more because I had really like scuffed up clothes and stuff <laughs> And, and and then but it seems like she trusted you she she, yeah. she recognized something in you that she could trust uh, pretty much and i think right she away. was fascinated too because i'd gone to college and i had been in therapy and i had done all these things that that were this kind of normal suburban life and and she had been famous at 19 i mean she was an icon and then later in life kind of came to some of these other things uh, like psychology you know like therapy and and so we could compare notes from different ends of things and you know here I was in this heady adventure which was you know less of an adventure for her and more like she was interested in like what it was it like to you know go into psychotherapy so early <laughs> and um it was but but anyway we, we we had a lot of fun we had a we had a ton of fun and then she brought me all around the United States and um and I can't you know like there's a way that I am with band members you know like I don't make them if we I was out with another musician and he had his band sleeping on the bus for two days off in Florida. And I was like, I think I'm going to just head over to Priceline here and get everybody some hotel rooms. Cause that's what I learned from Joan Baez. <laughs> like, really? Like you were going to have them just kind of hang in the shade of a tree under the tour bus in and, Florida, in Florida. That's... And so, um, that was, uh, I realized that that was, that was Joan. She had like a real high quality of life that she wanted around her, which meant mutual respect and love for the people she was playing with. And talk about um, grad school. I think it's because we're here yeah. at the University of Michigan, right? <laughs> so this seems to be like a, a metaphor that's easy to come by. But what a learning experience. I, right. I, and I know you said it was she was also learning from you and absorbing things as well. But it seems... No, she learned. She, she taught me a lot more than, than I ever taught her. She, she was... Um, but a lot of things were just... Um, you know, kind of practical day-to-day things. And then I just saw the way that she related, you know, she was just, um, she she didn't blow up at people, you know, she could get impatient and that's life on the road. So there was that kind of permission to not be, uh, you know, completely robotic. But at the same time, she was like always good. Yeah, she was very respectful of everyone around her, including her audience. She really loved her audiences. She understood that that was important you know she really trusted her manager she really believed in this you know listening to him and and you know along the way you'd hear these stories about how Vaclav Havel said that Czechoslovakia had uh, a nonviolent, rela- uh, you know, revolution, the Velvet Revolution, due to like five incidents, one of which was Joan Baez's concert. And you'd hear these stories about her trips down to South America and, and these things that she did. She went on a peacekeeping mission to Vietnam and they bombed her while she was there and the Americans did. And, you know, that stuff you heard from other people and she would be sitting there, you know, at lunch kind of nodding her head like, yeah, yeah. And then 
you know, she sort of had this sparkle in her eyes and she, you know, I left my shoes in her room one night. We were all hanging out there and I found my shoes outside my room that said, and it said, you need new shoes. And she said, otherwise you're perfect, you know, <laughs> and, and it was that kind of, so who I am on the road is very influenced. And I think that gave me some longevity because, um, you know, she was, she really believed in, you know, laughter and, and kindness and mutual respect. And, oh God, I would be really embarrassed right now if, if I had been more entitled than I was because, you know, the road can be very rough and bumpy and you run into people over and over and over again and you need them. Let's take a short break and we'll come back and talk more today on the program. Dar Williams is here. Her latest album, In the Time of Gods. We'll be right back. It's the stormy season Lightning flashes through the air And the water bugs are busy spinning backwards in the Welcome back. You've got Living Writers on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Dar Williams is here in the studio. Um, we just heard a song from the latest album, In the Time of Gods. Um, Dar, why'd you why'd you pick that one to to um, as one of our breaks today? Was I, it just random? <laughs> yeah, or did Tex pick it? Tex picked it. Sorry, I chose another one. But okay, sorry. No, you know, I'll, I'll pretend that I didn't. I'll, I'll pretend I chose it. <laughs> Um, no, no, okay, no, okay, okay. No. Well, let, we'll move on. Okay, <laughs> let's keep this genuine. Okay. If nothing else, that's what that's I. Otherwise, that'll blow my whole mind. That right. if it's not genuine, <laughs> tar. Um, so, so we were just talking before the break about um, when you met when you met Joan Baez and for the first time and and her using this the like asking or. How did that happen? With because you're aging well, that song she sang it right, and then you sang it with her. It was- I I I um my record company um also was working with Thirty Eight Special, and Joan's manager was also working with Thirty Eight Special, and my record <laughs> owner, record company owners uh, were like poking Mark and saying, you know, Joan's doing this big thing at the bottom line. And uh, here in New York, and and I had a you know a downtown radio you know record company, and 
they were nearby and they were always passing the bottom line and they saw this was happening and they said, you know, you should have her bring this person up who's really doing it, who's part of this new world of touring musicians. And, um, and her manager said, okay, okay. And he brought that song to her and she said, okay. And, you know, it's, it's amazing, you know, these hurdles. And then it just happened. And, um, and again, I was surrounded by very, you know, her band was really nice to me. And so that was, that was the beginning. You know, it's, it's funny because that, that part of it was just the, the industry. <laughs> it's like, thank you, 38 special. <laughs> and I'm a fan anyway. <laughs> but that's great. It actually sounds like the Joseph Campbell from The Power of Myth, like following your bliss. Like if you're trying and doing and just believing in it, maybe some of these things just manifest. Well, I don't know about that. I just think that it was lucky, you know, because yes. now oh. I, oh, think I think that that's, that's what another way of that's it's just different. another way of saying it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, now something is I, I, I think it's harder to start now because, um, you know, you have a lot of the 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 um ability to tape yourself and advertise yourself and 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 you know it's not what i was doing like cut and pasting little words and things and pictures onto um you know pieces of paper and then taking the white out and and whiting out the edges where you saw the edges because you'd printed them and then printing them again and then having them make a hundred copies and you know it's it to advertise your next show right because you don't have you know you didn't have a printer and um you know, it was a lot of relationships with the people at the copy stores and the everything, and and there was real to real tape, and and that was. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you still want producers and engineers and graphic designers and beauty and those things. Um, so, you know, but if, the, if these um, people who are starting now have friends who can do that, you know, they can kind of team up and put it out there, and then there's just people not buying music, and that's. I used to add a little notebook of, you know, I played at the Ark for $50 and I sold three, you know, cassettes and two CDs and I walked out with, you know, $200 in my pocket instead of $50 and um, that got me to the next gig where I made $100 and sold 10 CDs and therefore, you know, I mean, it was like that. It was it was very much a side by side thing. And I think people can still do that to some extent in this in this genre, but it's just um, it's not going to get you a tour bus, you know, like that. They people don't sell music that way. And I used to go on tour buses with my bands, and I would say, hey, you know, don't worry about the fact that this tour is going to be in debt because I'll sell these albums and then I'll get it back in my royalty thing. So we're cool. And um, it's just. You know, it's just different. It's just different now. There's just different ways to to go about having a, a music career. But um, I was there in a very golden time. I mean, I was with an indie record company, and they were working hard, and I was working hard, and everybody was was believing in each other. And and okay, good. Um, everybody was uh, looking out for each other in the '90s, and it was and it was a great time to be a girl with a guitar. So, you know. In that regard, I do believe it was luck, unless, you know, the great goddess just plunked me down there on purpose. But I, I just woke up in the right city to be starting and, and the right country to be touring at the time. And and but but what's also amazing is that we're talking about and we won't keep talking about it, but like the, the 90s. Right. Mm-hmm. But you've this, all these albums, all these like still like the songs are still like there's there's that compelling 
you're you're telling stories. Yeah, and it, here's the good news is that once you start on the path of doing things, you know, in that kind of uh, <laughs> pretentious, you know, what's my process? What is the muse bringing me following the golden thread of the theme of the song in my head? It's hard to turn around and write something, you know, on demand. And um, to find those formulae and not to get kind of bored by them or just to feel like you're bad at it. And um, so and what's nice is, you know, I went down to to Nashville this year and hooked up with people. But there was always a grain of something that we believed in. And that's how they write, too, at the end of the day, even though they're trying to you know write big hits and stuff. But, um, you know, we there was still a lot of heart in it. And so I could still kind of go into like trying to write a pop song and experimenting with that. And um, but at the same time, the, the you know, into the aughts, into the 2000s, I that's that's all I do now. You know, if, if I, I create spaces of time and place to just have let those things pop into my head, you know, to let the muse come and visit. And as corny as it sounds like, I don't have a choice. Like that's, that's the way it goes. So you're also creating the space. Like that's not corny. That's actually, this is your work and it's what you believe in and what you value. Yeah. And I have kids. So they're like, we don't get it. And my husband's like, I kind of get it, you know? So, so I just, but, um, you know, if I don't create that space, the songs do not come to me while I'm doing the dishes, you know? So, um, and so I've learned how to, you know, from the 90s, from the success I had in the 90s, I, I'm able to turn around and say, like, I've got to go walk in a field now. You know, I just it's just beautiful. Out and I have to walk in a field and, and or take and, a boat down the Hudson and right. think about the Storm King. And I'll come back and say and be like, nothing happened. It's kind of like going fishing, you know, like sometimes <laughs> something happens or that doesn't. But you but, have to show up. Yeah. And it sounds precious. But, you know, it's like, well, that's that's my paycheck. So, you know, I, I guess I got to walk around and think about what it's all about. <laughs> uh, no, it doesn't uh, sound precious. It sounds yeah. like you're taking actually a, a risk to do that. Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's harder as you get older because it's, it's actually feels like much more fun to deal with the known world than the unknown world. But um, I'm happy to uh, I'm glad that that my job requires it. Dar, will you play something? Yeah, this is actually, this is great. This is, um, this is called I've Been Around the World. <laughs> and it's, you know, my husband's a real anchor. He's a, he's a great cook. And, and, you know, we have this home that we have this huge garden and stuff on a tiny plot of land, but we still like grow all this food. And it's, um, it's uh, you know, as a, as a completely on the road, all out, you know, kind of nomadic person, to have this is is uh, you know tremendous. So uh, I wrote this with my friend Rob Hyman, who's a great love songwriter. So he told me to keep on going with it. <laughs> Will you make my coffee? And it's only three a.m., but soon I'm going far away. And my time is almost up I hold my coffee cup We sit with nothing left to say And I know that soon I will be touching down In a shining city or a mountain town I have been around the world But all that I can see are these moments that we have You're all the world to me 
Well, there's always laughter and the parties after and a fond farewell before I go. Leaving town, the wind abates. They flash like movie frames. The last scene in a picture show. But I know that I am not alone, and you are the one that I can tell my stories to. I have been around the world. There's so much there to see, and the story never ends. You're all the world to me. Times you think I've lost my way, but there is no way this can be true. 'Cause when I'm walking through the door, I look for you. You're all I'm looking for. Truer now than it's ever been. I'm the lucky one that love has taken in. I have been around the world, from sea to shining sea. I wish that you were here. You're all the world to me. I have been around the world. From sea to shining sea, and now I'm heading home. You're all the world to me. Thank you, Dar. That was so. That was lovely. Thank oh, you. Thank you. <laughs> When the studio crowd goes wild, <laughs> <laughs> and there it is, Dar, that song it is, it is a love song. That's it's it's such a beautiful love song. Yeah, it's, it was, and but it's a it's a it's a you know I get to sort of own it in so far as that it, it's it's a little unusual. Although a lot of people share this experience where they go away a lot, and um, and. You know, somebody said, "Well, is this? A, it just sounds like such a song of loss and loneliness." And I said, "No, because you don't want to give up being, you know, all of the adventures of your life. You you want to be able to bring them home with you. You want to be a worldly person. You want to be traveled and intelligent and challenged and all those things. And then you bring that home to your family, and and your family has all these things that have grown." There, you know, by staying put. I mean, there's just an advantage to staying put, and there's an advantage to getting out there. And my town is filled with travelers who kind of get out there and and then bring those, you know, that kind of wisdom back with them. And and it's a better town for all of that, you know, cross pollination and those those currents. And is that Cold Spring? Is that yeah. the? And so you did return. So you've like with all this traveling, you you've chosen New York. Though. Like from Mount yeah. Kisco, where you were born, I was I was born thirty miles away from where I live now, and um, I was uh, 
I was coming down the Hudson River uh, doing some fundraisers, and I just thought, um, I really miss uh, New York. And, huh. you know, I was in New England, and it's really beautiful, and everyone's very, you know, physically fit, very intelligent, and, and all those things. But New York is, you know, it's a little shlubbier, it's a little slower, and, and in its own funny way, I know that sounds, you know, it's like a fast-moving place, New York, but, um, you know, you have New York City, and it's so it's so impressive, sort of monolithically impressive that you find yourself being like, Ugh, I'm not going to compete with that, you know. And you you have to appreciate. You have to get your New Yorker and your New York Times, and you just kind of have to read them and talk about it because you can't just be the thing all the time. And um, so, so in a funny way, I kind of chose the the beauty of the Hudson River and the kind of humility the kind of humorous humility of uh, New Yorkers <laughs> and it's where I belong <laughs> and when and when did you realize that or is that just something you it's just it's self-evident so hard to know <laughs> it might have been the moment that I went to a yoga class in Northampton and I weighed you know 10 pounds less than I do now I was at pretty much the low end of my BMI my body body mass index and I was the fattest person in the yoga class and everybody, uh, no one smiled. And I just thought enough of this, you know, this, these, you know, fitness competitions, you know, you, this strange rigor. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, your, 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 your fit to, you know, your, your fitness is a part of your, your life. And at that time I went down and I hung out with some musicians. I won't say who they were, but, um, we were, you know, really drunk and <laughs> Well, you can if you want. <laughs> no, I'm not going to. But I was I was with these musicians and, and one of them um said uh had been married to another one of them and was with her new boyfriend. And, you know, there was this kind of extended family of, you know, all these people who'd known each other for thirty years and and she was talking about how she'd been at a venue hearing somebody being courted by a label and she remembered what it was like when she was being courted by labels. And she said, oh, I just felt so jealous. And I just thought, how transparent, you know, and how honest and, and important to me to hear about these kind of ups and downs and waves. And she said, so I just got drunker than I've ever been. <laughs> and her ex-husband said, oh, no, no. Remember that time you're on the highway and you tried to jump out of the car because you said you were angry. And so you, that's up there. <laughs> and the car was moving around the highway. She goes, oh, yeah. And, um, and I thought, you know, that is... They were so my people, they not were the yoga class. Yeah, I mean yeah. they were, and you know, it's like okay, so you you can choose your substances and how much of them you want to do. But she was so honest about her feelings, her anxieties, her, you know, her dismay and and her feelings of inferiority and and um, and I just thought that's that's who I am. I don't want to try to perfect myself. I want to express myself. And, um, you know, creative career is all about trying to, you know, either identify something unique or do something unique, not trying to continuously sort of polish a stone, polish a stone and prove how well you can polish the stone the way you're supposed to. You know, it's all about sort of breaking rules. So New York was, you know, where I belonged. And that kind of emotional honesty was also where I belonged. You know, not to knock New England. There's lots of that. But it's... Um, it, New York is just filled with people who, you know, even in the town where I live, that we were talking about the recession and I was saying, I think the women are handling it better than the men. And a woman that I barely knew said, oh, that's so funny. My husband's at home and he's basically in fetal position right now. And I just thought, that's helpful. You know, yeah, I think that's, you know, 
And then I could be supportive to her instead of, you know, pretending that everything was together. I'd be like, yeah, we're all kind of like freaked out by this. Like, what happened to my stocks? What happened to my money? What <laughs> and, um, you know, that's where I belong with, with people who don't uh, try to dress it all up all the time. Dara, would you mind singing one more song? Okay. Sure, I, sure. I'm just trying. I don't know what I would do that. That um, uh, let's see. Go, oh, because well, forgive me, because I was just thinking, because you just you're sitting there, there with the guitar, guitar <laughs> and it was just it's just so great. <laughs> All right, let, let's let's um, let's try this one. Um. Okay. Uh. Let's. Uh. I'll do. I'll do this one. It's another new one. Um. I mean, it's another one from uh, In the Time of Gods, and it has to do with um, uh, kind of getting a hold of knowing that you you, you hold the, the moral compass of, of your life. Um, and uh, I certainly had to, you know, kind of get away from the guru culture to, to, uh, to know, you know, that I had what I had. This is called The Light in the Sea. Sitting out upon the waves in darkness and upheaval I was told that I alone would not know good and evil But in time, but oh, in time It came to me as my shepherd Turn my wheel towards the thunder Taking on a challenge That I knew could take me under Oh, and it took me down And oh, it took me down And it came to me As I cursed the stem and sail And cut it should fail There is a light And there will always be The light and the sea The roiling sea Presence of my soul 
That's my my favorite one on the album. So oh, good. So thank oh, good. I mean, just um, th- it's thanks for choosing that one to play off the cuff. Very good. Very good. <laughs> nice surprise. And, this, and wh- why did you choose that way? Like, is it just something? Yeah. How do you? Which because it seems like that's the story you want to tell in a particular moment because you've got all of these songs like at any moment I feel like you True. could sing um, well, how, but, but how, this is but it, you know to, to be talking about sort of um, the uh, the choice to, to move from a place where people actually seem to have more of the answers to a place where people who didn't <laughs> where people didn't really have the answers but somehow that felt more you know certain to me um, is is very much a theme of this the song because um, you know there there are people that I um, stopped working with and that I broke up with. I mean, and that's very similar. I think business and, and love can be very similar. And, and you know, one of the things that got leveled at me was um, you're not going to um, find your way. And, um, you know, with with certain people who knew that I have these kind of sociopolitical values, there was this insinuation like um, you're not going to have a, a moral compass without me to remind you, you know, what it's all about. And that it just, seems dangerous. Well, it just That's turned like out to be, order. yeah, I mean, I remember I, was, I broke up with somebody in New Mexico ooh, and um, he said something like, I think you don't know how to love and I turned to him and I was like, oh, my God, that's such a cliche. Like, really? Is that the best you can do? And he's like, I'm sorry. I'm just really upset right now. And so, you know, sometimes in the moment you can, you know, it doesn't even hurt. You're like, wow, that's not that's that's not a strong one. But but, you know, the people who have stood by your side, you know, when you do work where you sh- try to show up, you know, for um, yourself and your health and the right people and the people's voice and all those things. It- it's a real blow when they say you're not going to be able to do this on your own. And then there's the whole, you know, religious dimension too. you know, the- this idea that you need um, a yoga master or a guru or a guide. And um, and I'm sure at some point I-, I will, you know, find myself in the presence of somebody I can trust. But I, I never did, you know, in, in any um, kind of setting, you know, there was no teacher that, that really, um, was safe feeling at the end of the day, but there was me <laughs> and that was the authority of my experience, which is kind of vast at this point. And, you know, in my forties, I was able to, to, uh, kind of put that into a song and say, there's always going to be chaos and there's always going to be a distant light and I can, you know, and I need to kind of focus, uh, on it. And, um, and sometimes I will overshoot and, you know, I'll, the light will be a little farther than I can really see by and I'll, and I'll go down. <laughs> oh, well, you know, and then I'll come back and I'll find the light again. You know, so it's like, 
what's wrong with that life? And that's so that's that what that what that song is. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, you know, I mean, it, <laughs> the that's a nice the thing. Yeah, that it, it's nice to be in a place in a world of friends and and people. I, you know, there are a lot of women who are being incredibly honest about like their teenage years and their mistakes and and um, talking about you know their sex lives when they were teenagers and stuff and not following the rules of what they were supposed to look like and what they were supposed to act like and. Um, there's this rawness coming out in these blogs and things. And, and I'm uh, really inspired by that. Like these are some young women coming up and saying, I have a moral compass that, that uh, I'll steer by right now. And it doesn't look like what the magazines are telling me. And I'm very, very impressed with that. And it's something on the inside. Yeah. And I'm trying to, to be true to them. <laughs> and to you. By, by saying that, yeah, that That's... happened for me too. Like I had this raw, weird life and it, and it really instructed me and I can, I can, I can go by that now. Thank you, Dar Williams. Thank, Thank you. you so much for being on the program today. Come back anytime. Uh, would thanks. You? <laughs> yeah. Um, you've been listening to Living Writers today, Dar Williams, her latest album in the time of gods. I'm T Hetzel. Until next time. You are listening to the Daily Sports Report on 88.3 WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Hello and welcome inside the Daily Sports Report here on 88.3 WCBN-FM.